This is the Future Focus Terminal Podcast, where we talk about challenges operators face and how experts combine human ingenuity, experience, and innovative tech and deliver unprecedented solutions that lead the way. Welcome back to the Future Focus Terminal Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Fairchild. So we kicked off our first season with Brant Ring, our CEO at Con Global, and I've invited him back to kick off our second season as well. So we're going to talk about some of the topics that we went through last season, and then I'm even going to do some teasers about some of our topics that we're going to talk about this season. So welcome, Brant. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed this program that you've put together for Con Global. I think you covered a lot of ground, uh, a lot of great content. And I'm especially excited about all the experts that you brought to the table, including internal experts, as well as a number of external experts. So well done. Thank you, Brant. So we're going to start off uh, relatively easy. I'm going to give you a softball here. I want the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So can you say what made you choose a career in supply chain? And when did you know this type of work would be more than a job, but a passion? Yeah, great question. So I wish I could sit here and tell you that, uh, you know, it was a lifelong dream to work in the supply chain, but uh, that's not how it worked out so much for me. Um, So I grew up in a small farming community in the heartland of America, northeastern Colorado, and had studied in college uh, mechanical engineering. So I thought that I wanted to design farm machinery for a living, Uh, but for a a variety of reasons that didn't work out so well. Uh, So through a long series of applications um, to a variety of companies, I was uh, lucky enough to get uh, hired by a Class 1 railroad, the former Burlington Northern Railroad. So I would just tell you that my pathway to the supply chain was good old-fashioned dumb luck. (laughs) But the second part of your question is probably uh, more relevant, that is when did I know that it was a passion of mine? And I would really just tell you day one. So my first day... Um, on the BN Railroad was when I knew that this is something I could really sink my teeth into. And what I enjoyed about it was coming from a small farming community, what what caught my attention was the scale. Um, It's really important work. The supply chain is really important to everyday life. And it's real work um, that's done by real people. So that's when I knew from day one, when I, when I ran into the scale and I ran into that real work that's really important being done by real people, I knew that this was a, a lifelong calling for me. So I've enjoyed it for now almost 30 years. That's awesome. I love it. So tell me, I think we share a little bit uh, of background. So for you, when, when did you know? Yeah. So kind of like you, I got into it by complete accident. I was a tax attorney first, um, and I went to Union Pacific just because my you know prior job wasn't everything I had hoped it was. And so I saw a position open at Union Pacific. And at the time I knew, you know, absolutely nothing about railroads, I'll be honest. I was like, hmm, railroads, isn't that a dying industry? Um, You know, absolutely knew nothing, right? Uh, So went over to Union Pacific, started there in tax and did that for, you know, the first several years of my career and got to move around the tax department, do all the different types of tax. but I went through their leadership development program, and um, during that, op- I was given an opportunity to move into marketing and sales, which is where you really get to touch and feel the right. business, right? And what I really figured out when I was in marketing and sales is, you know, number one, you get to learn about so many different things, right? right. So whether it was an intermodal or when I went to different product areas, you know, I kind of joke you get to go on um, adult field trips because whether you get to go visit a port and see what's happening in a port complex or go to a plastic resin packaging facility or something else, it's like you're constantly learning and growing. 
And so I got to see so many different interesting things in my career there that um, that was one of the things. And then just, again, you touch everything that we use in our day-to-day life. And so it's like, oh, you know, I know exactly how that got here, right? I know where that's manufactured and how it was manufactured. And I bet that came, you know, over this ocean routing. And then it was probably transloaded here. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's such an exciting place to be. And then it was funny because, you know, you try to talk to these things about your family who just rolled their eyes and had no idea what you would do until the pandemic. And then all of a sudden we were front page right. news. Now everybody knows what we do. So everyone all of a sudden has a, a passion for it and um, wants to make sure it's running smoothly. <laughs> yeah. So I think you said something that, 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 you know, we were talking about how we found our way to the supply chain. Um, and and, and often a question is what keeps you and I think it is that learning piece right so it's the scale of it the importance of it and all the moving pieces for the supply chain uh, allows us to learn something new every day every week so um, no two days are the same and I can tell you that even after 30 years in the supply chain uh, still continue to learn I think that's part of what keeps us right that is absolutely what keeps us here so um, you know I'm not somebody that could do a job where I wasn't constantly learning. That's actually why I picked tax law to begin with, because when I tried to do criminal law, I found out it never changes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's like that ultimately is what we do is that no one day looks the same as the right. day prior. Every day you're learning something new. And I just, I don't think I could do anything else. I really don't. Yeah, that's fantastic. We share that. Thank you. So we're going to continue a little bit on the background piece. And again, we talked a little about your background, even when I had you on the first time. But I'd like to dig into what drew you to Con Global. Yeah, so I I love talking about uh, what drew me to Con Global because I like talking about Con Global. So in my nearly 25 years of class one railroading, uh, the last 10 years or so, I was given the privilege uh, and blessed to have oversight responsibility for the terminal operations. Um, so what that means is I oversaw um, intermodal and automotive terminal operations. And so that meant that I was uh, the point of contact, the customer, for Kong Global and its uh, competitive peers. And um, so I was familiar with Kong Global, was familiar with the important role that Kong Con Global played in the supply chain. And I liked the fact that Kong Global focused on the endpoints. Right, so we, we, we just referenced the fact that supply chain is, is large scale, it's complicated, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and I think the line haul is, is handled really, really well by all those key players, you know, the, the ocean carrier side, the trucking side, the rail side of things. Um, and I think the sometimes overlooked part of the supply chain that's so important, but, but maybe better said that the part that interested me was the endpoints. And we don't have to look any further back than, you know, 2021, 2022, to understand the important role that the endpoints play in the supply chain. So if the endpoints aren't working, if the automotive terminals aren't working, the intermodal terminals aren't working, the warehouse and distribution centers aren't working, the container yards aren't working well, then it really impacts the overall supply chain. And so what drew me to Con Global was its ability to focus on those endpoint operations and um, as an expertise for what Kong Global does and being able to partner with all of our expert experts in the field to really transform those endpoints in a way that they can be safe, effective, and resilient. Um, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, so I just saw that as an opportunity to transform an important part of the supply chain, uh, namely the endpoints. Mm-hmm. 
So turnabout's fair play. What drew you to Kong Global? So I agree with you um, that the endpoints were definitely a point of interest because like you, I had interactions with Kong Global when I was at Union Pacific. But I'm going to take the question in a totally different direction. Great. So um, I'm going to take it to, okay, I, that was kind of gave me my first glance into why I was interested. But, you know, then the conversation would lead to, hey, I got to the point of an interview. And so what made it. me come, right? Uh, really, there's two things that drew me to ultimately make the decision to make the leap. Um, the first one is culture. And that starts with our mission. So taking care of each other, our customers, and our business. So that was something that I felt immediately day one from the interview that I had you know, with you and John Stevens, our CFO. I could just immediately tell from you know, just the interactions. And I mean, there was just no, uh, I don't know how to put it, but you guys were just so relaxed and personable. And you could tell you cared about each other. You cared about me. Um, I just, it wasn't full of pomp and circumstance, you know, um, but that even carried through to even my very first meeting. So, you know, my day one, I actually had to, I left the UP building one day, came back the next day, um, on the other side of the table with Con Global, but we had some pre-meetings and I remember being in the room with yourself and, you know, many of my operating peers and, um, folks and, just immediately, I felt part of the team. Like it felt like I'd worked with you all for 20 years. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. just uh, it was the strangest thing, and I could just feel that being part of the team, being immediately accepted, um, having a voice from day one, and you know that was huge to me. And just you know being seen, being heard, um, feeling like I was part of the organization, and like like people cared from day one. So that was part of it. And then the other piece of it is really the innovation side. So. None of our competitors and, and frankly, a lot of people in the supply chain space are doing what Con Global's doing in terms of innovating. So, you know, we have, again, the legacy side of our business um, in terms of what we're doing with intermodal and automotive. And then obviously we have a fantastic depot um, operation. And then on the other side of the house, and I've talked about this before on some podcasts, but you know, I get to run this cool startup business right, right. and we have technology that we're putting out there into the supply chain that, you know, number one, we're integrating into our own operations to make them more highly efficient and effective and safer. And then we're also, you know, having the opportunity to sell those to customers. But, you know, it in these larger, bigger organizations, things move, you know, just a lot slower. It just takes longer to get things done. And I like the opportunity to come here. And if we have an idea, you know, essentially, we can move fast and, and get stuff done. And so I could feel that just from our very first conversation was, you know, it's not going to take me uh, three years and, uh, you know, several layers to get stuff done here. If we have a cool idea, we're going to be able to try it. So that could be one of the most heartwarming uh, responses I've ever heard. So maybe we should just call it a wrap on this podcast. <laughs> no, well, that, that was really nice and um, means a lot to all of us at Con Global in, in the way that you articulate um, the team that uh, we, we, we endeavor to be. So. Well, my next question actually um, continues to play on my answer because uh, I thought you might do the turnabout as fair play. So I actually was going to ask you, how do you create that culture of innovation here at Con Global? Yeah, so it's so important for what we do um, to to have a, a culture of innovation, and and I'm repeating myself, I think, from the first episode, and I do repeat myself a lot around the halls of Con Global, uh, but I think it's important for our audience. Uh, we have so many stakeholders that listen into 
this podcast to really understand what innovation is. And for me, technology is just one aspect of innovation. And, you know, you ask 10 people what their definition of innovation is, and you'll get 10 different answers. But the one that um, I, I really like and have really latched on to um, isn't mine. It's one that I uh, learned through some work with uh, MIT, and that is that innovation is the process of taking an idea from inception to impact. And so I really like that definition because it is, it is a process. It is about ideas, but it is also about impact. And it doesn't reference anything to do with hardware or software. Um, and it's important for us. The reason why it's so important for us is because we're a longstanding, you know, very industrial um, company. So we're 55, 56-year-old company. Um, so we've been doing this a while. And we're going to be expected to do this for a while. And we're going to be expected to do what we do for a while in a world where it's increasingly difficult um, to find good folks, good experts, uh, as we call them, who want to do this work. But our customers and our stakeholders are going to expect that we do that uh, in any environment. And so that means that we need to find new and different ways of executing our service plan. And that means that we will be resilient, which means that we will be able to do what we do and do it well and do it safely in all sorts of environments now well into the future. And so if we're going to build that resilient company, um, we have to find new and better and different ways of doing things, which does in fact require innovation. And so your question was, how do we create that culture? Um, part of that is just understanding the why, mm -hmm. which I just attempted to outline is the why. Um, the next uh, way that we try to incentivize and motivate that culture is by creating safe environments mm -hmm. for people to experiment. Um, and so I think everyone um, knows that I always have three questions. Um, what are those questions that I always have? What do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to do? Why do you want to do that? And what happens if you're wrong? Yep. What happens if we're wrong? That's right. Um, the what do you, what you want to do is the idea. And the why do you want to do it typically is all of the positive things that will. Mm -hmm. If we do X, all of these positive things will happen, right? I have an idea of doing this, and that idea will drive these positive outcomes. It's very natural. So those questions are important, but the third question is probably the most important, and that is what happens if we're wrong? What happens if you're wrong? Um, and we're all in this together. And th that doesn't mean that we can't afford to be wrong. It, it's just my way of assessing um, the implications of innovating, the implications of reiterating the solution, the implications of getting it wrong. Um, the, in doing so, are we, are we betting the firm? Or in doing so, we'll be able to recognize certain trigger points and be able to pivot and reiterate the solution. That's why I have those three questions. And I think in doing that, it creates a safe environment for people to understand it's okay to have ideas. In fact, it's encouraged to have ideas. Um, it motivates, it, it incentivizes, and it tells folks that um, it's okay to want to do something in a different way, that we're not unnecessarily connected to the way that we've always done it. 
Um, and I think it, it, it incentivizes and creates a place for people to want to experiment and be willing to take those experiments because good things can happen, but also that if it doesn't go as planned, um, that we all know that and we know what the risks are and we can pivot accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more often than not, when you ask those questions, that's exactly what happens as people come up with the if things start to go wrong, we have a plan, right? Right, Because most of the time you're not betting the firm. Most of the time you just have to have a plan in place to know that if things start to go south, what do you do? That's exactly right. And so That's exactly we right. just set it up for success. The only thing I think I would add to your comments, and I follow your approach and I think it works really well and we do have a ton of people around here that just love to innovate like crazy, um, is the recognition piece too, right? For sure. Without question, um, without question that we, we, we try to build a culture um, that um, rewards and rewards come in all sorts of fashions, mm-hmm. but rewards our team of experts uh, for innovating. Yep. Without question. Big part of what we do. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so next, um, so Con Global's had a significant transformation in 2023. We had a name change and the expansion of services. So how do you think that positioned the company for long-term success? Yeah, so this has been a big year for us, even though we're all dealing, everybody in the supply chain, to my understanding, is really dealing with a pretty big setback in overall demand, and and we'll set that aside for now, but um, it was still a big year for us in terms of uh, transforming the company. It really is uh, not something that happened in 2023. It's really a culmination of uh, of all of our work together uh, since this team came together three or four years ago. So it's really the culmination of three or four years' worth of work. Um, to build the platform that is today's modern-day Con Global. But it really had roots around the fact that um, I already referenced that we've been doing this a while. And what that means is, you know, in 2020, when we all came together, it was really a collection of three, you know, legacy companies. So we had uh, American Auto Works, um, which is uh, the legacy brand for our automotive operations, and we had ITS, or in-terminal services, which is the legacy brand in operation around intermodal terminals uh, for our rail customers. And then we had Con Global Industries, which was the legacy brand in operation around container yards. And going back to a question you asked me earlier in terms of what drew me to Con Global, part of it was that platform and opportunities that we all saw for integrating those platforms to approach the market and approach customers in a way that provides value by linking those services. So I like to say that each of those service offerings uh, by themselves are compelling, but together they're exponentially compelling because we can go to the market and say that we're capable of operating an automotive facility that happens to be adjacent and is frequently adjacent to an intermodal facility, which is frequently connected by um, rail car switching between those facilities. So we can go to the market and say, we can operate an automotive facility, the intermodal facility and the switching. And by the way, we can support those operations with depots or container yards that can be an outlet for our rail customers, which can be an outlet for the clients at the logistics parks, which can be an outlet for a warehouse or a distribution center. And so really dropping the ITS of ITS Con Global and becoming Con Global was really just an outward example that we're one company now, that we are one Con Global that has all of those service offerings that, again, stand stand on their own, 
but but together um, are really a compelling solution for the overall supply chain. And then if you wrap all of that into technology, which has been a big part of our uh, recent transformation, which also was you know came together in 2023, but was a culmination of many years worth of effort. Because as you know, the advanced solutions that we've put in the marketplace recently were conceived of in 2020. Uh, we took the years 2021 and 2022 to develop those solutions and um, make them, you know, viable. And then 2023 was really a year of piloting and ensuring that they were commercially viable, which which positions us now to go to the market with very viable, very advanced, uh, compelling solutions for the supply chain that makes the supply chain safer, more effective, more efficient, and more resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, going forward. So without question, 2023 was a big year for us, but it was really all of those things coming together from the years prior. Yeah, definitely. And just something that you said about logistics parks and you know all the pieces coming together. The thing I'll say is the thing you're hearing more in the marketplace is that that brings a lot of value, right? So I think there was a time when the supply chain really got away from that. Um, when I started in the intermodal space, you know, it was the time when the ocean carriers were hired by beneficial cargo owners to handle kind of the end-to-end whole supply chain, every single right. piece of it. And there was a, a lot of that. And then that started to get parsed out, you know, at some point in time, you know, along the way, all of a sudden, you know, the you know, ocean carriers didn't own the chassis anymore. They didn't do the drays anymore. And, you know, there was more and more transloading into domestic containers. And so all the pieces and parts started to separate. And now what you're finding is that, you know, the more pieces within the supply chain that you can touch, um, that's actually becoming more and more compelling to the underlying shippers, the underlying beneficial cargo owners. So, you know, the fact that we're touching each and every part of it, you know, other than, you know, we're not doing over the ocean or over the rail, but... Other than that, you know, we're handling the depot piece right. of it to store the equipment. We are doing the endpoints for the railroads. We can operate your yard you know, for the warehouse. And again, we're wrapping it all in technology. We can provide drainage services. So you know, that's becoming more and more of a demand is what I'm finding out there with the customer base. And that's great to hear because that's, I mean, nobody talks to our customers more than you as our chief commercial officer. So it's great validation that some of the strategies that we initiated, you know, as far back as three or four years ago, are now starting to be validated that there's some value in that yeah. connective tissue. I think since so many people are, um, you know, have less people and the people that you have um, have more things on their plates, right. they just need to be able to come to experts like the people at Global to handle as much as possible. So, yep. All right. So what steps do you take and what can other leaders do to ensure that employees who drive the business are supported, especially when considering well-being and mental health? Yeah, I love this question. And I really appreciated the episode that you concentrated, um, you know, this um, vehicle on uh, the mental health piece. That that episode was impactful. So for me, I think um, it really goes starts with our mission statement. Um, of taking care of each other, our customers are in our business in that order. And so as you, as you know, that's not something that we all just say, it's something that we really believe. So I think in terms of supporting our experts, our coworkers, um, in, in this space, it's really just starting about letting them know that we care and that sort of manifests itself in terms of how 
we approach each other, right? So one of our values is that we embrace differences and we celebrate authenticity. Um, and so we, we really celebrate those things together. So, you know, we, we need to put ourselves in a position to care for each other, embrace those differences and celebrate authenticity. I think all that adds up into a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the greatest thing that we can do as leaders of this organization in terms of supporting our coworkers is to create a safe space um, for them to be who they are and contribute their talents uh, in a meaningful way to meaningful outcomes. Beyond that, I think that, you know, if we get that done well, that's a really great foundation. And then we just need to make sure that we are providing resources and tools to our teams so that they can feel supported. I have the tools to do my job. I have the resources to do my job. And if things aren't going so well, um, that we have resources available to them to help them with whatever those challenges might be. Um, I hope that made some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how do you see that aspect as well, um, given, you know, the team that you have mm-hmm. and the folks that you interact with on a daily basis? I mean, is that resonating with our, it does. With our team? Yeah. No, I agree. And I do think it comes back to, you know, taking care of each other. And I don't think we have to overcomplicate it. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know if you know what the Emergenetics profile is, but it's one of those many profile tests you can take. And I I personally don't have a lot of red, which is the one that's social and relationship based. But that being said, you know, I can still read people, right? I mean, I can tell when somebody isn't feeling like themselves. And so it comes down to a simple question sometimes is, hey, it doesn't seem like you're yourself today. Like what's going on? I ask people that question a lot. And that question can go a long way. And even um, in that particular moment, if it doesn't change anything, it might make somebody self-reflect and do something. So, you know, I will tell you, I ask that frequently. We've got a lot on our plates around here. And someone recently told me, hey, I didn't realize it until you asked me that question and had pointed out that I wasn't being myself. And that triggered me to take some vacation. And now I've come back and I feel rested and relaxed and, you know, ready to go again. But, you know, people oftentimes, I mean, again, if you're paying attention to the people around you, you can tell how people are doing. And sometimes all it takes is that simple question. And that might be enough to trigger someone to take a well-needed vacation, seek out mental health, you know, help, you know, the therapy or something like that. And then to your point, you got to just make sure that the tools and resources that we have um, are readily available and people know about them. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think you said some pretty powerful stuff there. I don't think we have to complicate it. Um, and I love how our mission connects us to immediately um, that aspect of, of each other as teammates um, taking care of each other. Um, and I think it's just an acknowledgement that we all are human and we all have been through a lot if you think about the last three or four years, um, we've all had a lot to deal with um, in our professional um, and personal lives. And so I, do, I really do like how here at Con Global we can take a lot of those challenges and chart our path forward by going back to the mission. Mm-hmm. of taking care of each other, our customers, and our business. I can't tell you how much I love our mission because, honestly, um, you know, I go back to it all the time. I mean, and 
inside you know the company conversations outside the company conversations it's impactful it's meaningful it's it's true i mean that is what we do every day it, it is it's, it's um it's simple right and i get i get questioned on this a lot and i get challenged on this a lot in terms of you know is it measurable enough and because mission statements should be measurable and i and i think it is mm-hmm. i think that our our experts that are on the front lines operating cranes operating trucks turning wrenches um unloading vehicles operating locomotives you know how do they know if they had a good day did i do something to take care of a fellow employee did i do something to take care of a customer did i do something to take care of our business if i did something you know one of those three things i had a good day mm-hmm. if i did something along all three of those i had a great day uh, and you and i often talk about the fact that you know before we lay our heads down at night we ask ourselves did I do something to take care of our employees? Did I do something to take care of a customer? Did I do something to take care of our business? If we did one of those three things, we had a good day. If we did something along all three, we had a great day. Yep. So it really is measurable, and it really is actionable, and it really does work for all of us. Yeah. Well, and it helps you prioritize, too, because, True again, enough. you can take a look at something on the list and say, is this something that is, you know, again, going to meet that mission statement? If not, then maybe it's not something that belongs in that priority list either. Precisely. <laughs> All right, so in March, we're gonna be talking about empowering women in logistics. This has been a space that's been traditionally dominated by men. I can't tell you how many times I have been in a room and been the only woman. So I personally think that you are a huge ally for women in this space, and we at ConGlobal have even been recognized for our workforce diversity. So what thoughts can you share or what advice can you give on this topic? Diversity to me is diversity of experiences. Mm-hmm. It's div- diversity of thought. It's diversity of all of those things. So I think if we start there, then you get to a place where um, you can be, you know, where you embrace those differences. You just nat- naturally draw um, differences and different talents towards you. So I think that's what we've done is we've created an environment that draws in different experiences, different perspectives, um, and women are a big part of that. Mm-hmm. We've just tried to create an environment that um, is a magnet to talent. But you might be able, in a better position to tell us um, how we've been successful in, in, in that regard. Yeah, no, I mean, the big thing for me, um, you know, the first one is making sure that in diverse talent has a shot at the job, which we do, right? We make sure that we have diverse candidate pools. Again, people want to work here. Um, so that has not been a problem. Um, but that has to be kind of step number one. You can't have a diverse workforce unless you have a diverse talent pool to draw from. And then making sure that, again, your diverse talent and women have a voice, which um, it kind of goes back to that safety discussion, even in the innovation space. So, again, this is a very safe environment, and it goes back to the mission of taking care. But people here do have equal voices. I mean, like I said, even from day one where, you know, I was the new girl, um, I had a voice, right? Mm -hmm. Because diverse perspectives, all perspectives are valued here. We have a great way of assuring employees that embracing AI won't jeopardize their jobs. Instead, it will open new opportunities. Will you share more on the topic with our listeners? I will, because I really do have, and I will say that, you know, I have strong convictions on some of these things, and I may be alone in them, and I'm okay owning that. I may not have it right. But I think um, the debate around 
whether or not technology is going to displace um, jobs, replace people. Um, I, if we stop in, in you know, I, th- I think that comes from a root of uncertainty about the future. The future is obviously difficult to predict with any precision. Um, it's unknown. And I think with that uncertainty and that un- unknowing attribute of the future, um, it becomes really important for people to talk about. So I don't discount at all folks that may be worried about the role that technology will play in the impact that it might have. So I'm not here to disparage or criticize or demean those feelings. I think personally, though, that history can be our best guide in, in this. And the first thing to understand is that this debate has been going on since about the 16th century as to whether or not some advancement was going to displace people and take the job. So it's a long-standing debate. And it feels like it's more real and more germane and more relevant now to all of us because this is the time that we're living in. But I'm a pretty simple person. I can't think of a single time in history, or at least in my work experience, where society invented an advanced solution on Monday, deployed it on Tuesday, and sent everybody home on Wednesday. It just doesn't typically happen that way. And I have a philosophy that that becomes that comes from a, a perspective of technology advances at a different rate than adoption of that technology. And so I think that technology um, is developed at an exponential pace because it moves at the speed of human ingenuity. Mm-hmm. And there still is no better computer on the planet than the human mind. And so yes, things are developed at a rapid pace. In my experience though, adoption has come at a more linear pace and because adoption typically follows necessity. I'm not going to adopt this advanced solution or this piece of technology until I need it. And so I think the adoption is a bit of a governor on development. And that typically provides society enough time to shift um, and pivot. So without question, for example, um, you know, there are fewer people involved in farming today because of mechanized advancements in mechanized farming. That is true. But society pivoted from that into jobs that weren't even conceived of back when mechanized farming was developed. And so I think in my mind, at least, I go back to history and can't think of technology that's displaced people immediately. Typically, the adoption rate allows for society to pivot, and and society has done a great job of pivoting. Um, and so, I I I I think that the fear comes from a natural place, but I think history proves um, that we'll be able to adapt to technology. I think that the one thing that I really want to reinforce here for all of our audience, because we have so many different stakeholders that are listening to us, 
including our own experts out in the field, and that is the advanced solutions that we're pursuing are intentionally designed with the human in the loop. So we are not pursuing technology to replace people. We are pursuing solutions that will allow us to continue to be safe, efficient, effective, and productive in an environment where the next generation of workforce has many alternatives um, to other work. And every one of our solutions has that in mind. Definitely. And I would say from my experience with talking to our workforce, and I think you can confirm it as well, that our workforce is actually excited about our technology. And I get asked all the time being you know, the leader of the tech business right. unit, when is that going to be ready to roll right. out at our terminal? Right. It has been heartwarming to hear the feedback from the experts in the field in terms of as they get to know our solutions and they utilize our solutions, um, relay back to us the desired outcome, which is it makes their jobs safer, more effective, more efficient, and more productive. Um, and so that's that's been really nice to have relayed back to us yep. from, from the front lines. Or others that once they've gotten it, you know, we've gotten some really right. nice quotes about how excited they are, for example, to get a Verispot unit because right. now I don't have to search anymore. Right. I know exactly where that unit is. Exactly. So. Exactly. All righty. Um, so relevance in business goes beyond keeping up with the latest trends in technology. It's about staying true to the values and purpose. We still need to be responsive to the needs of our customers and society as a whole, but what conversations are you having about technology and why has Con Global invested in technology? Yeah, so technology um, for us and the advanced solutions that we're putting out there are all about just building a resilient platform. Um, the world around us is changing. The macro environment with, within which we operate is changing. Uh, workforce, workforce dynamics are changing. Customer expectations are changing. Capacities are changing. Shipping patterns change. And so the solutions that we're attempting to put in the, into place will help protect our ability to um, produce in, in all kinds of environments. Because without question, you know, it, it's always been true that, you know, the, the environment with which we operate changes. But the last three or four years seems to have had, you know, change, you know, things change by fast and by a lot. Um, and we just need to be able to, to produce in those environments. And I think our advanced solutions enable us to do that um, and protect our ability to do that in a safe, effective, efficient way, no matter what the environment around us throws at us, yep. if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, you know, customers really, just like us, are investing in technology for much of the same reason. A lot of people like to throw around the term, you know, the, the buzzword visibility. Right. But visibility isn't just for visibility's sake, because it's exactly what you just really alluded to around performance, right? right? People are trying to get to the end goal of visibility only enables you to perform better. Right. Right. Another word we use around here, which actually fits the title of this podcast is, you know, so I say resiliency, but it's about future proofing. Um, our, our services exactly, and our ability to perform. So how are you viewing sustainability and how are we baking it into our business at Con Global? Yeah, so for me, sustainability is just about being a good neighbor, right? So our mission statement, which we've referenced a couple of times now, is take care of each other, our customers, and our business. And part of that is taking care of the communities that we operate in um, and, you know, just being a good neighbor, a good global citizen, right? And so... You know, we do need to find, um, continue to advance efforts to do what we do uh, in an environmentally friendly way, 
uh, environmentally sustainable way. And so we very intentionally bake that into our initiatives in terms of how we deliver our services. So we're always on, on the move to eliminate waste. We're always on the move to find you know, alternative energy sources that make sense for our business, for our customers and the communities that we serve. And we're always on, on, on the move to find efficiencies in, in our business as well. And so I think that just makes us a good corporate citizen. And I think then that makes us um, attractive to um, our existing customers, more attractive to our existing customers, and it makes us more attractive to prospective customers. And all of those stakeholders, investors, prospective investors, uh, employees, um, I think it makes us more attractive to uh, today's employee as well as uh, folks who might consider working for us down in the future. Yeah, and as you know, on the customer piece, we were just awarded Norfolk Southern's Sustainability Award for Energy Efficiency. Yeah, that was fantastic. So congratulations. Well done. Yeah, thank you. All right. So to evolve, innovate, and problem solve, workplaces must be safe, welcoming, and diverse. Can you tell our listeners more about ConGlobal's zero harm commitment and how it impacts the decisions for workplace safety? Yeah, so zero harm for us means that we can and should do this work without harm to people, product, equipment, or the environment. And it's just that simple. And simple to say, um, more complicated to deliver because we do work in an outdoor production environment. And so nothing that we do will have a greater impact on our company than eliminating harm from our places of work. Uh, and we have pockets of excellence all through our network. So we have individuals, we have collections of individuals, we have work groups, we have entire sites that are proving that this work can be done without harm. And so that drives all that we do because we don't have to wonder if it can be done. We know that it can, that it can be because mm-hmm. these groups are proving it every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year. And we just need to find business processes, tools, and resources that will allow us to replicate that uh, throughout our entire network. So long-winded answer, but it really comes down to zero harm, meaning that we can and should do this work without harm to people, product, equipment, or the environment. All right. So when you look at the pace of change, the need to motivate and inspire despite what's happening in the market and geopolitically, and the rising expectations for CEOs and companies, what advice would you give leaders to become more future-focused? Yeah, so I always stop short of trying to give advice to other leaders and, and, and future leaders, uh, but maybe share a perspective. And I think we've touched on it a little bit. Um, but as leaders, I think a big part of our responsibility and a part of our accountability is to, um, sometimes we say, see around corners. It, it really is about anticipating um, anticipating changes in all of the inputs that go for our, our business, right? So um, it really is about that. It's about thinking ahead, seeing around corners, trying to anticipate a variety of inputs and positioning the company and all of the people who make up the company, um, positioning them down a path that allows us to be successful and allows us to be prepared for those anticipated changes. So 
I think that's something that we try to do at Con Global is we do try to see around those corners. We do try to anticipate. Uh, we do try to scenario plan and position ourselves uh, in a way to be successful in that regard. And then just to layer on to that, what I would say is to make time for it, right? Because yeah. if you're constantly in the weeds and putting out tactical fires, you're not going to be able to be future focused. So you're going to have to take time, um, set some time aside to really step out and just look at the big picture, right? So you. Yeah, and a way to carve out that time is to make sure you have the right people around you, yep. right? Which uh, I, I feel blessed to have the right people around me. Um, and for for all of our leaders throughout Con Global, um, that's the key to key to being able to do that. Is surround yourself with the right people for that. Yep, exactly. All right, so we've talked a little bit about 2023 already and how impactful that was, but how about 2024? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I get this question. You know, what's top of mind? And uh, again, maybe maybe we've uh, just made it too easy for me. But I always go back to, you know, our mission statement, you know, what's top of mind for me? Well, what's top of mind for me is is right there. It's taking care of each other, taking care of our customers, and, and taking care of our business. But in real practical terms, you know, what does that mean? Um, major step forward in safety for our company in 2023. Um, near best, near best ever frequency of, of injuries. Uh, workplace injuries and an all-time best in the severity of our injuries. So we're not still we're still not at our ultimate goal of zero, um, but without question made a huge step forward in 2023 in terms of um, eliminating harm. So top of mind for me is is sustaining that, ensuring that we have the business processes, we have the tools, um, and we have the people um, focused on on eliminating harm from our places of work. And then, uh, from a customer perspective, in practical term, in practical terms, what that means is, you know, ensuring that we deliver uh, on our commitments to our customers. So deliver against the service plans uh, that they expect, and that we expect of ourselves. So again, that's making sure we have the right people, and the right supporting business processes, and the, and the right tools, the right resource. So we're re- resourced properly to deliver against those commitments for our customers. All right, so we have made it to the end of the podcast, and I know you listen to every podcast religiously, so you know that I ask a question at the end of every single podcast, and so now it is your turn to answer. What does future-focused terminal mean to you? Yeah, and I think I might have referenced this already, so maybe I anticipated the question uh, coming my way, but it's it's future-proofing, right? And that really just means uh, resiliency, right? And that just means resourcing, our enterprise, resourcing our operations with processes, with tools, with solutions that enable us to deliver on our customers' expectations in any environment. And so for me, it's as simple as that, placing our firm in in a position to be successful no matter the environment around us. That's a great answer. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for joining me again today to kick off our season. Happy to do so. I I really enjoyed it. And again, congratulations on on a wonderful um, program here that you have on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you um, to our listeners for joining us again today. If you can tap the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And thank you. Until next time, take care.